Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. What do you do when a dream dies? What do you do when you have wanted something or desired something or have chased after something for years or decades and there comes a moment where God just kind of looks at you with all of your desire and all of your passion and just says, no, that's not gonna happen. Well, that's what we're gonna be talking about in this series. How do we react when God's response is often unexpected or confusing? Like, what, what do we do when God says, I know you want this right now, but I'm gonna ask you to wait and you're not gonna like how long that waiting period is. Or I know you've just settled in and gotten comfortable, but I'm gonna ask you to pick up everything and go and chase after a mission and a calling that I have for you. Or this week, what do you do? How do we respond when God says no? And we got a little bit of a no last weekend, didn't we, as a church family, uh, where Mike announced after 40 years of a ministry, 27 years here at the church that he started, it's like God said, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's time for you to get some rest. And um, he stepped into retirement. And I was thinking about that this, this week. I think we would be amiss if we didn't celebrate this, but with news almost every single month of a pastor falling or failing, how amazing of a gift do we have to watch 40 years of faithful ministry and see a pastor finish well. Can we just celebrate that? Yeah, it's incredible. And so this is a timely message in the life of our church, just like God knew what we were gonna talk about when that uh, message was received. But when dreams die, um, it's often hard and confusing moments in our life. Let me sh share with you a story from my personal life. About 17 or 18 years ago, um, this beautiful blonde-haired lady named Jenny, my wife, uh, met this uh, handsome, strapping, intelligent young man, and they started dating. And uh, after a few dates, they begin feeling what they thought was this feeling of love. And so what comes next logically? Well, they start talking about marriage. And so this guy knew that he needed to ask for her father's blessing for her hand in marriage. And so he writes up a speech, he practices it, and then comes that faithful day. So that young man went to visit her family and they got through all the small talk. Uh, and then there came that moment where that young man took the father aside and gave that speech that he had and ended with, may I have your blessing for your daughter's hand in marriage. And that father looked at that young man. He said these exact words that I will never forget. He said, no. It takes a man to love a woman and you're still a boy. And the dream died. How do you think Jenny felt? How do you think I felt? I didn't feel anything because I didn't know Jenny or her dad. That was the guy before me. I got a yes. My dream is alive and well, baby. But that dude's dream died. So how should he have responded? Just gracefully ride off into the sunset and not look back, I think. That's a real story I like to tell it, sorry. But there have been other dreams in my life uh, that have died. I lost a full ride scholarship uh, after two years because of something dumb that I did. Um, you may have heard me talk briefly about our adoption, um, but Jenny and I always wanted a big family. And so when we first got married, we got married young. We had two kids back to back, 13 months apart, and we felt called to adopt. And the biggest place of need was Ethiopia at that time. And so we found an adoption agency, a reputable one. We did all the paperwork. We raised all the money, thanks to some of you folks that I see sitting in this room right now. Uh, right now. 
And uh, we started the adoption process and we turned the upstairs room in our apex townhouse into a, a nursery for baby Ethiopia. We would pray for baby Ethiopia. Well, we got a call about 15 or 18 months later and it was the adoption agency saying there's been some problem in country. So there, there's some child trafficking that's going on. So we're gonna have to pause your adoption. And what that means is you have to redo everything. So we said, okay. So we redid the paperwork. We raised the money. We sold everything that we had. I sold my kayak, sold my mountain bikes. Jenny sold her wedding ring. Mine wasn't worth much, so I still have that. But, um, and we prayed for baby Ethiopia day in and day out. And then 18 months later, uh, we got a phone call. We were upstairs at the Raleigh campus. My wife and I both worked here. On the other end, it was the adoption agency saying, hey, the child trafficking is continuing. So we're shutting down our Ethiopian program. And we said, okay, what does that mean for us? What's the next step? And they said, there is no next step. You don't qualify for any other country, so your adoption's over. And there's just this moment of, God, we were doing this for you. Like, we can have more kids on our own, um, but we wanted to show this kid the love that their heavenly father has for them. And we wanna show others the miracle of adoption because we're adopted into your family. And we were obeying your command to care for the widows and care for orphans. And you still said no. That's hard. Have you ever been there? Where a business falls through or your health declines again or a child goes prodigal or your marriage collapses and when it seems like you're doing everything right and God still looks at you and for some reason just says no. So what do you do with that? How do you respond to God in those moments? And we really need to think this through uh, because these no moments can really um, honestly derail our spiritual life. They can derail our faith. I've talked with a few people just this past year where they lost the business or they lost a loved one. They, they felt the sting of that moment where God says no. And they, they go through these, this, these hard conversations. They ask these hard questions like, God, can I trust you? God, are you still good? God, are you even real? And so we need a way to make sense of these no moments and a clear way to respond. And so that's what I wanna do today. I wanna show you just one simple biblical principle uh, that we can apply to the different categories or ways that God will say no to his faithful followers. Now, thankfully, uh, we don't have to rely on our own wisdom. We can actually turn to wisdom outside of ours, the word of God, and we can get a much needed perspective. And that's where I wanna start actually perspective. Because as I was preparing for this message, I realized I had the wrong perspective on these no moments. I thought there might be one or two in the Bible. Like I, I racked my brain to try to come up with more than one or two instances where God said no to one of his faithful followers. It's hard. Like, can you do it? Like right now, just go ahead and yell out an instance where God says no to his faithful follower. Not online, you're just scare your cat, I can't hear you. But in here, yell out a time where God says no to one of his faithful followers. There you go. We got one, yeah, it's hard, but that is one, yeah. It's hard to come up with more than one or two. So I took out my Bible and just read through some of the highlights of scripture, and lo and behold, guys, God says no all the time. Isn't that funny how we like remember and hone in on the encouraging parts of scripture and just forget or skip over the parts that we don't like so much? You open up the Bible and in some places, God is like the anti-Oprah. Like Oprah's like, you get a car and you get a car and God's like, no, you don't and you don't either. Um, in Genesis 17, uh, Abraham cries out um, for God to bless him and to make him into a, a great nation through his firstborn son, Ishmael. And you can read it in black and white, Genesis 17, 19. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Moses really wanted to enter the promised land and God said, no. Uh, David gets a lot of no's. David pleads with God to save the life of his firstborn son uh, with Bathsheba. He says, no. David wanted to build him a temple so that God could be worshiped and God still says no. 
Uh, lots of times in the Psalms, David cries out, can you beat this enemy? Can you give me victory? And sometimes God says no. Uh, Jesus sometimes says no in the Gospels. Um, someone will come from a town he just left and said, hey, there's more blind people, there's more lame people. Can you go back and heal those? Jesus says no. Uh, he says no to James and John's request for, to sit at his right hand when he comes into his kingdom. Um, Jesus has an incredible conversation with God the night before he dies, and at the end, he basically says, hey, if there's a different way, can we just do this whole salvation thing without the cross? And God says, no. Uh, in Acts 16, get this, Paul wants to go to Asia to share the gospel with people that haven't heard it, which was the mission that God had given him, and God says, no. And perhaps most famously, three times Paul asked God to remove that thorn in his flesh, that mysterious uh, physical or emotional something that was painful, that limited his ministry. And God said, no, no, no. So God says no all the time. And when I realized that, I was just as shocked as you are. Like, aren't you shocked? And so we have to step back and ask why. Why are we shocked when we see God saying no to his faithful followers? Why does it seem like unintelligible? Why, do, why does it seem wrong? Why does it seem in a word unfair? And I think that's where our problem lies. You see, we see it as unfair because we have the wrong perspective about what our relationship with God is like. That's what I think. I think that oftentimes, even subconsciously, we view our relationship with God just like our relationship with any other adult authority figure. And it's what I call a performance-based relationship, where you treat me based on what I do or don't do. So if I do good stuff, I should get some good things. If I do bad stuff, I can understand if you don't give me what I want. It's like, he's a boss, and like, I'm an employee. Like, he's the manager, and like, I'm an hourly worker, right? And so we have this balance scales in our mind of some stuff that we think is fair or not fair. And when God says no to one of his faithful followers, we see that as unfair. Like, if I slack off at work, and I badmouth my boss behind his back, and uh, I skip days every now and then, and every time I'm on shift, I like steal a 20 out of the cash register and put it in my pocket, and Friday comes and you fire me, I'm like, I get it. I'm a horrible employee, that's fair. But if I, as an employee, showed up uh, on time each day, went above and beyond my job responsibilities, did all that was expected and more, and when Friday comes, I still get a pink slip, I'd call that unfair. I'd be mad, and rightfully so. That's not fair. And this is how we treat God when he says no. Don't you hear yourself saying stuff like this to God? God, I've been going to church. God, I've been reading my Bible. God, I've been doing it your way. I've been serving in the midst of a pandemic. Surely that must be something. And if this is how we view our relationship with God, as if it's a performance-based relationship where God treats us based on what we do or don't do, then these no moments can really throw us for a loop. If this is how we view our relationship with God and we've been a good person, then every single no that we receive is like a breach of contract. You see that? These are not the terms and conditions that I signed. But what I wanna show you this uh, today is that that's not what our relationship with God is like. It's not a performance-based relationship. You wanna see what it's like? Turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. All right, a few of you are. Turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the side screens. Uh, this is during uh, Jesus' first public sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he hits all sorts of topics in this sermon, but around these verses, verse seven, he turns to the topic of prayer. And this is the perfect passage for this series because in prayer, what do we, we, we go to God and we make a request of him and he gets a chance to respond, right? Now this passage does not speak directly to what to do when God says no. 
It doesn't speak directly to what do we do when God says wait or what do we do when God says go, but it doesn't have to because it gives us the perspective that we need to handle and respond appropriately to any response that we may get from God. So look at Jesus's words here. Matthew 7, verse 7, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now that sounds like the opposite <laughs> of what we just went through in the Bible, doesn't it? It seems to say that God will never say no, but does God say no in the Bible? So that can't be Jesus's point. So what's his point in saying this? We have to keep reading. Look at verse nine. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus uses different types of metaphors all the time in scripture to explain what our relationship with him is like. And he uses the boss-employee metaphor a lot. There's lots of parables about servants and masters. So he could have used that metaphor here. He could have said, which one of you, if a servant comes to you and asks you for bread, but he doesn't, what does he say? He says, which one of you, if your child, if your son, if your daughter comes and asks you for something? And here's what Jesus is getting at. When it comes to how we relate to God, when it comes to these no moments, you have to throw away that idea about a performance-based relationship. You have to throw away that idea of what is fair and unfair, and instead, you have to begin to see everything through the lens of a parent-child relationship. He's our father, we're his children, and that's Jesus's point. That's his theme in these verses, and that changes everything. I'll show you in a second, but trust me, you want God to view you as a child and not an employee. Like if I view my two daughters, we have three now, we do foster care. We don't just like randomly get kids, but we do foster care, but we have three now. Um, if I view my daughters through the lens of a boss employee relationship, they're not gonna do so well, right? I mean, you'll agree with this parents. As far as employees go, my kids stink, okay? <laughs> just being honest, as, as far as employees go, they're worthless. Like sometimes the best thing they do all day is sleep. You parents know, right? <laughs> occasionally they'll say something like halfway funny, they'll cuddle with me, they'll halfway do the dishes. But, but as far as employees go, like I'm on the losing end of this bargain. And so if we're talking about what's fair, what they deserve, like on a good day, they deserve access to my Disney Plus account and like a cheese stick, that's it, okay? But forget about clothes and bed and a college fund. Like when it comes to fair and unfair, I don't really want God to consider me an employee, okay? That would be horrible. But my daughters are not employees, are they? What are they? They're my own flesh and blood. They're my daughters. And you know what that means? It means that whether they deserve it or not, I'm committed to them. I love them. I even like them most of the time, right? And it's because of that commitment that no matter what they do, good or bad, I will provide for and I will protect and I will nurture and I will give them every good thing that I possibly can because I'm their father and I love them. And me being their father also means that I am wiser than them. Both my older daughters would heartily disagree with that, <laughs> but I am. Not when it comes to like sixth grade math. I have no idea how to do that. But when it comes to life, I know things they don't. I've been through experiences that I'd really like to protect them from. And when you put those two things together, a fatherly love that wants what's best for their children and a wisdom that is beyond theirs, one plus one equals two. This plus this will sometimes equal a no. That's the point of this passage. 
Jesus's point is that we have a good father that gives good gifts to his children. His point isn't that you're gonna get everything that you ask for. He doesn't say, if you ask for bread, God's gonna give you bread. He doesn't say that. He says, you're gonna get something good, but it might not be bread. You could go to God and say, hey, give me bread. And he's like, dude, you're a type two diabetic. You've been carving up for two weeks. Here's a carrot, go for a jog. That's the best thing for you, right? So in in order for me to provide what's best for my kids, I have to say no sometimes. And you parents know this, don't you? How often do you say no to your kids? A lot. Because surprise, surprise, my daughters want things that are bad for them. Or they want things that they're not ready for yet. Or they want things that pale in comparison with something else that I wanna give them. And so I have to say no, not all the time, but sometimes. And this dramatically affects the way that we approach these no moments. And I wanna show you how this plays out, but I do wanna say this. I know some of you had horrible fathers, okay? Some of you had bad fathers, but I just want you to know that doesn't make it any harder for you to relate to God as father. The fact that you know and realize and feel that you had a bad father means that you have an intrinsic idea of what a good and loving father is, okay? That's your father. So let me show you how this plays out. As I've thought about this, There's three main categories that God will say no in the life of his faithful followers. And we're all gonna encounter these. Um, The response to each is a little bit different, but that same biblical principle holds. So the first thing that God will always say no to in the life of a faithful follower is sin. (laughs) God says no to sin, duh. That's an easy one. But I don't wanna move on too quickly from this. In fact, I'm gonna spend more time here than the other two categories because this is the first no that you're gonna experience Um, and any real relationship with God. Notice I said real there. And hear me, if you ever want to um, grow in your spiritual walk or go deeper with God, you're just gonna have to develop sort of a gut level, heart level, settled conviction about how you're gonna respond when God says no to sin. Because at first, it's easy. (laughs) Like when you first get saved and your eyes just kind of open and you look around at your life, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a wreck. This is a mess. Yeah, I do stupid stuff. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting other people. I completely understand why you say no to that. So you stop sleeping around. You stop doing, this is hope. I don't know, stealing cars, who knows? But you stop doing that bad stuff and, and you obey and you, and you grow a little bit. And then you get deeper into God's word and then you uh, go a little bit deeper in your spiritual walk and you realize that sin isn't just these big, huge public things that hurt other people. It's also things like character traits, like pride or jealousy or anger, or it's stuff you do that no one knows about. And when God says no to those things, it would be easy to respond. It's just, it's just a little gossip, just a little pornography. No one even knows about it. Just an attitude that I have. It's just a little thing that I do in secret. No one even knows. And it's real easy to start saying, why would you even say no to that? I mean, I work hard, I'm stressed out. I deserve a little rest, a little fun. Why are you being a killjoy, God? And it's easy to slip into that performance-based relationship. Why would you say no to that? That's not fair. Why do you wanna take all the joy out of my life? Why are you trying to suck every ounce of happiness out of my life? And in those moments, we have to remember, this is not God trying to rob you of joy. This is not your boss just randomly cutting your lunch hour short for no reason. This is a loving father wanting what's best for his children. Uh, When my oldest daughter was young, 
She loved to dance like most little girls do. And those of you that have daughters, what's the one accessory you need if you're a little girl and you're gonna dance? You need a spinny dress, okay? You need a dress that spins out when you do your Disney princess moves. And so every day she'd go upstairs, she'd get that dress, she'd put on these fake high heels we got them. Grandma probably got them, I have no idea how they got there, but she'd put those on, she'd put on some music and she would just dance the day away. Now, unbeknownst to me, do you know where her favorite place to dance slowly became? The kitchen table. Because in her mind, that is a beautiful stage where all the world can see her amazing dance moves. But what do you think I said the first time I saw her dancing in fake plastic high heels on the kitchen table? I said, no. I said a few other words I can't say from stage, but basically, no, you got to get down. I mean, in, in her eyes, it was this amazing stage and I was, I was taking her off of it, but I, I told her no, because that's how bones get broken. That's how, that's how skulls get dented in. And that's how you go to the hospital, right? And so during that little phrase, I was vigilant. Don't dance on the table. Are you dancing on the table? Please get off of the table. And in her little mind, I was like the Grinch. I was trying to steal all of her joy, but she didn't understand I was actually doing the opposite. As a wise father, I wanted her to have the most joy and the most fun and the most happiness possible. And it's not fun going back and forth to the hospital. And so when it comes to God saying no to sin in our lives, and this is so countercultural, and I don't even know why, you have to keep in mind that it's not God wanting to steal our joy. This is a good father that wants us to have the most joy possible. And it just so happens you and I take joy in stupid stuff. <laughs> you know that, right? Like you want stuff and desire stuff that's bad for you. There's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, everyone dies. And so we have to understand that all of God's commands are given to protect our joy, not steal it. He's given us these amazing guardrails in our life so that we can stick to the road that leads to the most joy possible. The happiest people I've ever met in life are the ones that take obedience to God's word the most seriously. And so here's how we respond, ready? Because God is my father and he's working for my joy, I will obey. When God says no to sin, I have to remember because God's my father He's working for my joy, I will obey. And it seems simple at first. But there's gonna come moments in our lives where God saying no to sin can really just shake our faith. Like I'm looking around the room now and I just see very familiar faces. I've been here since 2009 and I've baptized whole families here. I've done weddings, I've done funerals for loved ones. Had some long conversations over coffee and I remember some conversations with people that go here. And where God just goes to a couple and says, hey, I know, I know you lost a child in a drunk driving accident. And I know the past few years have been a nightmare. And I know that you feel just holding on to that anger and that hatred and that resentment towards that other driver. And I'm just gonna say no to that. Because that's eating you from the inside out. Or when God goes to like one of our young adults and says, hey, I, I know you experienced abuse or, or trauma. And I know it's so easy <laughs> to just numb that with pills or alcohol or a myriad of different things. And it's so easy to keep that to yourself because not numbing or talking about it means that you would have to re-experience that fear and that pain again. But I'm gonna say no to that because I can't heal stuff that's in the dark. And we need to get about the work of rest restoration and healing. And if you slip into that mindset of comparison and what's fair and not fair for God to ask you to do, your faith is gonna be rocked. <laughs> but if you hear that no coming from the lips of a loving father 
that knows what's good for you and is fighting not against but for your joy, then that obedience is a little bit easier. It's never easy, but it's a little bit easier. And I don't mean to be a downer here, <laughs> but you're not gonna be done with sin until Jesus comes back or you go to be with him. So because there's layer upon layer upon layer of sin in our hearts, there will never be a season in your life where God is not saying no to sin. So this obedience just has to become a part of who we are. So that's the first. God will always say no to our sin. The second one, God will often say no to our comfort. <laughs> and I hate this because I like being comfortable. Anybody else? I mean, it's just human nature. I mean, we're created beings, so we have certain needs. We need food, we need shelter, we need water, we need sleep, we need rest. If you're an introvert, you need time away from people to recharge. If you're an extrovert, you need time with people to recharge. If you're a Tampa Bay Bucks fan, you need time to repent and change your evil ways, and the Super Bowl was horrible, but there will be times in life where God says no to some of those things. No to sleep, no to rest, no to comfort. And here's what I learned. When God is working in me and transforming me to be more like Jesus, or when he's working through me to love and to minister to someone else, that's when he usually says no to my comfort. And he kind of has to. I mean, if God's gonna humble me, what does that take? A little bit of humiliation. If God wants me to depend on him more, he's gonna have to take away all the things that I depend on that aren't him. If God's gonna use you to love and minister to someone that's hurting, there's gonna be boundary issues. There's gonna be sleepless nights. And hurting people hurt people. They don't know any better, right? And this is where all of us are right now. A little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, our schedules have been disrupted by COVID. We're expected to be workers and parents and now teachers. And I don't know about you, but me time has dramatically decreased. You remember back when kids weren't always at the house? Like when that was a thing? That was incredible. And so it's an uncomfortable time to say the least. But you know what I've noticed? I've noticed these past months that God has changed me like never before. And he's using me in the lives of others like never before. And maybe you've never thought of it like this. I'm not trying to be overdramatic here, but as I think back on the past 12 months, I've realized there's these little daily deaths that I experience now more than ever before. Like I'll be sitting on the couch and I'm really looking forward to Guy Fieri taking me to another burger joint in Flavortown. <laughs> Guys, me and Guy Fieri have bonded like the past nine months. That's a different sermon. Anyway, but then the dishwasher, ding, and I gotta get up and empty it. Or I would really like to sleep in a little, but our little one wakes up and I go to get her and her sheets are wet, so I gotta change that. I gotta take the dog out and I gotta change the laundry and I gotta talk an emotional preteen like off the ledge. <laughs> And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, you have called me to preach your word and to serve your church and to reach the triangle and to change the world. And all these things are getting in the way. And 2,000 times this past 12 months, God's just have to say, no, it's not. <laughs> That's how I'm preparing you. This is how I'm turning you into a tool that I can use. This is the training school for any follower of Jesus. And in those moments where God says no to my comfort, I always have this 10-second conversation like, God, can I just sit here for 10 more minutes? God, can you just make her go back to sleep? And God just said, no, <laughs> and I have a choice. I can choose to stay comfortable. I can choose to do my thing, or I can choose to give up my comfort. I can choose to die to my comfort, my sleep, my schedule, and be faithful to what God has called me to. And I don't make the right choice all the time. I do for like three or four days, and then I just get grumpy or I'll get angry, and I have to say that because my wife's watching. See, I'm honest, but 
we should not be, so- be shocked um, that God calls us to give up our comfort. But every time I make the right decision, every time I decide to die a little to my comfort, you know what I see? I see life. I feel tired, but my wife feels served. Or I feel exhausted, but my kids feel loved and they feel cared for. And this is what all good parents do, right? I mean, your kids wanna sleep in, you gotta get them up for school. Your kids wanna stay up late, you gotta make them go to bed. How else do, as a parent, you teach a child about work ethic or responsibility or maturity or independence? How else do you prepare a child to go out into the world on their own and make a difference? It takes saying no to their comfort. And Jesus is really upfront about this. He, he basically says all the time, being a Christian is not comfortable. In Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is an instrument of death, not just once, but daily and follow me. Or maybe the best, best verse is Romans 12, when I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. That's what being a Christ follower is, a living sacrifice. And like Mike has said a thousand times, what's the problem with living sacrifices? They like to wiggle off the altar, right? Jesus said something that I've gone back to again and again the past 12 months. When it t- comes to God saying no to my comfort, it's when he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, basically, it's not gonna bear any fruit. And I just repeat that verse to me all the time. So you can embrace comfort in your life. That's an option. You can spend the next 30 years smack dab in the middle of the comfort zone. But you will never experience what God wants to do in you and through you. Like you can spend all of your time avoiding those little deaths, but you'll never experience the big, huge life that God wants for you. And so when God asks us to give up our comfort, when he says no to comfort, here's how we respond. God, my father will use that life, that death, that little death to bring about life. God, my father will use that little death to bring about life. So God will always say no to sin. God will often say no to our comfort. And lastly, God will occasionally say no to a dream. Like with Paul wanting to go to Asia or David wanting to build a temple or our adoption. Maybe for some of you, a dream died last weekend when you heard Mike was retiring. And your dream, you just knew like, Mike's gonna stay here for 80 more years and then Jesus is gonna come back and then Mike's gonna lead services up in heaven. And so I'm never gonna have to be without him. And last week was hard for you. I do think that these no to dream moments are very rare. I don't know, I'm 35, but maybe three or four times in your life. And again, scripture doesn't speak directly to this, um, but it doesn't have to. Um, I, think when I, I think back to our failed adoption. I spent a lot of time obsessing and replaying in my mind uh, questions that I could never fully understand. I asked how a whole lot. <laughs> How could you do this? How could you not allow this to go through? How are you ever gonna use this for our good? Or why? Why would you do this? Why would you not give us? And I'm never gonna know the answer to those questions. But what I think Jesus wants us to do in those verses in Matthew is is concentrate not on the how, not on the why, but, but to remember and to rehearse and to almost obsess over the who. Like when God says no to a dream, you need to spend your time remembering and obsessing over the God who has given you that no. Jesus actually points out something he doesn't have to, so it's important. In those verses we just read, it's where he says, if you then, though you are evil, ouch. He didn't have to say that, but he said it. 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And at first it seems like a pot shot, <laughs> but Jesus' point is not to um, remind us of how bad we are. He says that so we can reveal how good our father is. You know our heavenly father is different than earthly fathers. You know that saying, you can't choose your family? God can. He can pick his kids. And who did he choose? Did he choose the best and the brightest? Did he choose the most holy, the most righteous? No, there's none. Who did he choose? He chose evil people <laughs> to be his kids. And if that sounds like an overstatement, it's not. Like before the world was created, before God flung the stars into space and hung the planets, he had you in mind. <laughs> he had you planned. And so he made this earth and he worked through all of human history and then he knit you together in your mother's womb, it says, and he gave you this amazing complex mix of, of giftings and desires and passions. And he loved you before you were even born and then you took your first breath and what'd you do? You started to walk away from him and you rebelled just like our father Adam and Eve, right? And year after year, you hurt others and you hurt yourself and you wanted nothing to do with them and you hated them and you said, get out of my life. I wanna do life my way. You stay over there, I'll do this thing. And when you were on that road, when we were on that road to death and hell and eternal destruction, which is what we deserved, which is what would be fair, what did God do? Did he give us what we deserved? No. He came down and chased after you and he reached into your heart and gave life to your dead heart and he opened up your blind eyes so you could see the beauty and the worth and the glory of Jesus Christ. And when you saw all of your sin for what it was and you felt so dirty and so sick and you said, God, could you ever forgive this? He said, absolutely. As far as the East is from the West, I'll do more than that. I'm gonna adopt you into my family and I'm gonna shower you with blessings. I'm gonna put my spirit in your heart to transform you from the inside out. I'm gonna use you for my kingdom. And Jesus' point is this, if this is how God treats his enemies, how does he treat his kids? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him, his children. <laughs> so if you take anything away from this message, let it be this. When that no to a dream comes, it's gonna hurt and it's not gonna be fun. And although you see a final no in that moment, your father sees a way to a greater yes. <laughs> All of God's no's just pave the way to a greater yes. Like you see a lost job and he sees a way of, of, of creating dependence on him like you've never experienced before. You see a lost relationship. He sees a way of developing intimacy with him, the very intimacy that you were created for. And so you can't know the why. You will never understand the how, but you do know the who. You know the heart of your father. And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know what I've learned to do in those tough no moments? When I think back to that adoption, I I have to stop measuring God's compassion by my circumstances, and I have to measure his compassion by the cross. Because I don't know what's going on here, but I do know what's going on there. He gave up his son. <laughs> There's no link that he won't go to to give us the best. And even though you don't understand it in that moment, that's exactly what he's doing, because he's a good and loving father. You think this applies to the season we're at as a church?
So we don't have to hide from God's nose. We don't have to run away from God's nose. And that includes where we're at as a church right now. Honestly, our posture kind of as individuals and as a church body should kind of be like, bring on the nose. <laughs> we need the nose. We don't have the wisdom of our father. We don't have the power to provide for ourselves what only he can. So we can embrace those no's, not because we fully understand the why or the how, but because we know the who. And we can trust that all of his no's just lead to a greater yes. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. I pray for everyone listening online and in this room right now. Father, I pray that um, you would allow us to obey you when you say no to, to our sin. I, I don't know what people are struggling with here, <laughs> but some of it I just know is heavy. And so Father, for the sake of their joy and their happiness in the future, I pray that they just obey, that they talk to someone, that they get help. Father, I pray that we would learn to obey you, to say no to our comfort, that we would embrace those little deaths knowing that they lead to life. And for those of us that really are struggling because you said no to a dream, um, may we, you just point us backwards. May we remember, rehearse, and rejoice in what we do know of our Father, <laughs> that you wouldn't spare your son, that you must be up to something great. So help us embrace the nose. We love you and we praise you. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.